0: You know, last uh, week, ag was a big part of our conversation. Well, today, I want to make sure we get a chance to talk about renewables, uh, you know, ethanol, these type of things, and the farm bill. But first, I want to talk with uh, Mark Watney, uh, president of the North Dakota Farmers Union. Mark, good to have you back on News and Views. Good to have the opportunity. Appreciate the time. Last week, we had a long conversation about inputs, you know, and costs. Um, And, you know, I got taken to the woodshed a little bit because I hadn't figured every input in. And then I got this uh, reports and I I went through, I think, pretty much every detail. I guess I'm going to throw you this softball. Do you think that the general public, which I guess I would be included in that, really gets the heart and soul of what farmers invest in that crop?
1: I I really don't. I think uh, farming is one of those things where at one time we'll call it a business and the next time we call it a lifestyle And uh, a lot of the people that work in town or at jobs tend to think of more of it a lifestyle than a business. So I was really glad that you were using the farm business management numbers because uh, that started that a long, long time ago where they started putting together numbers that uh, could be utilized and make the farm decisions substantially better. Uh, But it did start in a time frame when things were really tough. And uh, in some cases, they were trying to figure out, you know, if the farm could actually survive or if it could make it. And they needed this additional set of numbers so there's tons of tools out there that help farmers and ranchers make those decisions and uh, i know you were paying attention to things like they pay you know they talk about their own labor well that was a you know are you working so much on your farm and putting in so many hours and at the end of the day you're not really making anything right Uh, does it make sense to continue to farm or do you need to change your operation or do you need to hire more help or do you need an off-farm job or what And, uh, you know, in times, good times, that doesn't look like it's necessary to calculate, but in the bad times, it is.
0: Okay. And and that was one where I put a question mark behind, you know, because it's like, you know, for any small business, if you start calculating hours, we all know that way more hours than 40 hours a week goes into something like that.
1: Agreed? Exactly. And then the the next thing, when you see this, uh, you know, you got 20% on the low, you got the middle and the 20% high. That's not the same farm every year. So sometimes you'll have a farm that's really performs well because they got the rain or uh, they were in the right position or they happen to do a really good job marketing or caught the luck in the market. And then you'll have a farm that got hit by drought or uh, maybe didn't price enough for their crop up front and they can flip from both sides to the next. So sometimes we make the assumption we look at a one year set of records that there are certain people that do this better than others. And I would suggest in today's world, most farmers really do a great job or you wouldn't be out there.
0: I, I was surprised at the partnerships in regards to developing uh, the the study itself. I you know the the technical colleges, the up and down the valley, the the participants themselves, the farmers themselves that are part of this. That takes a lot of steps, Mark.
1: Yeah, and they used some Voya instructors to help with it, and they got out and sat with the farmers, and they really did a nice job in their inventory because that's another thing farmers weren't doing very well is tracking how much inventory they were maintaining and how much they were selling each year to see what that income stream might look like. Uh, but it was, it was very central back in the time and it still is. And and now other farmers can use this data and look at, well, am I spending too much on family living? Am I spending more on fertilizer than everybody else? Am I, Mm -hmm. you know, doing something that somebody's not. So it's really a strong basis for, uh, kind of figuring it out.
0: I think when you really want to get farmers mad, talk about cash rent.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely.
0: (laughs) If you really want to get farmers mad at you, just mention that this guy's paying this or this guy's paying that or this, because this shows, you know, this study shows. And so I think there's a lot of people out there that enjoy a good relationship on cash rent that they might not with that individual's kids.
1: Yeah, they definitely do. And they they can look at things to, you know, to justify it. You can also use it to show um, your landlord that, you know, that doesn't pay to rent at this level. So it, it's a good tool. It goes both ways. It goes both ways. And, and then there's another thing in here, you know, when you start looking at those bottom lines, um, the reality is, is it doesn't include the capital payments to your land, which I know gains assets. Mm-hmm. But if you're not selling that land that, uh, you know, if it's a $1,000 an acre or $2,000 an acre, it doesn't make any difference unless you sell it. Very similar to uh, making a principal payment on your house. Yeah, you're, you're gaining in assets, but you're probably not selling your house to take advantage of that. Yeah. And then finally, family living's not in there. And of course, if you look at return on investment. Now, I, I've looked over the years, and uh, farmers tend to average only about 2.5% return on their assets. And when I talk to farm people in town, they say, well, how many of you would stick a million or $2 million into something that said you're only going to get about 2% return on your assets? And uh, you got to love it, you got to want to do it. And then, of course, the farmer's retirement is on the land. And, Lastly, income tax, if you think about it, the farmer also pays both sides of the Social Security. So on some of those numbers that we see, they're paying about 30% uh, based on their tax bracket, obviously, uh, in because they pay both the Medicare and, and tax, they pay both the farm share and the, their personal share. So mm-hmm. it's 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 not taken away from the bottom number, so it's confusing.
0: Part of this, though, Mark, the, the genesis of the conversation that I had was based upon this constant pounding of a drum that under the current administration farming has gone to hell that there's nobody making money under this administration and i i will hold tight to taking take exception to that and that's what began the conversation
1: oh, oh definitely and it and it's real because we've had uh, some interesting years these last five years have been just almost almost ridiculous in some respect um if you go prior to the five years you'll see that about every th- every third year or about three, 30% of the years in the last 25, the farm program payments actually made the farm profitable without them. They would have lost money. Now in this last roughly five, I'm, I'm rounding numbers here. Mm-hmm. Um, we had the trade assistance cause uh, cause Trump started the China trade war. We had some other assistance due to COVID. We had assistance along with uh, the Biden administration, uh, due to uh, continuing uh, weather issues and continuing issues around logistics and supply. And uh, those amounted to tremendous. I mean, one year, 60% of the income came from the federal government. So it's really skewed. We're in a five-year window. It's really skewed. But the money's been coming in, and it's been coming under ad hoc disaster. And that's what people think. It's not the farm bill driving this. This is the fact that the farm bill isn't performing properly. So we go into Congress, and we say, we got a problem, and we're going to kill farmers, and we're going to kill the value of land if we don't fix this. So then we throw an ad hoc disaster program. The trouble with ad hoc disaster is there's lots of winners and sometimes it doesn't connect with the problem. Sometimes you win and you don't have a problem. There is need for it, but it almost always goes to the wrong places.
0: The the other thing, and I said this when I was running through numbers and when I said this, when we broke it down, took all the phone calls, that the, the reports I was basing everything off of were 21 and 22, which were good years. Good years. You know, every farmer buddy I've got told me, he said, the, the 23 report isn't in front of you yet, but the numbers aren't going to look as good in 23.
1: That's exactly right. And, and the, of course, you had commodity prices coming down, but not to a level where the farm program picked in much. Mm-hmm. And then you're declined in these ad hoc disasters because we didn't have anything to tie a disaster to, so they weren't giving additional government payments. So, yeah, you're going to see a, a kind of a leveling off and down. It's not going to be terrible, but it's going to be way less, uh, I believe, when you see the final numbers because of that.
0: Okay, I want to go over the farm bill with you, too, uh, where we're at with that. Also, I think we need to talk about renewables before I let you get out of here. So you're not, we're not letting you get out of here. How's that? Mark Watney is with us, president of the North Dakota Farmers Union. I asked him to come in to talk about the, the farm bill, which is actual policy, Mark, which you don't see Congress dealing with very much. But where do we sit? with the new farm bill right now?
1: Well, we're starting to hear some pretty good conversations heating up. In fact, they're starting to argue over provisions, which uh, the Senate side has a little bit different view of a little more conservation and the House is kind of looking at uh, the reference prices and so forth. Uh, we'd probably side on the side of, you know, getting those reference prices and the ARC payments up a little bit, uh, make them a little bit more responsive. Now, keep in mind, the farm bill is an investment. It really is only about 2% of the whole federal budget with 87% of that 2% Going to food stamps. So we got a remaining 13% that is designed to help farmers through times when we have too much production. And from a consumer perspective, too much production keeps the price of food reasonable and low. That's a good thing, that's an investment. So we need the farm program. Now, the farm program needs to represent something, and it needs to represent a level of security so that farmers can at least break even during tough times. And uh, if, they, if it doesn't do that, then we're going to be back to these ad hoc disasters that we talked about before, where we have very much inequity, too much money at times, too little money at times. And uh, that's where this farm bill is important. So I think there's a slight chance that we might see something early this spring. If not, we could easily be into another extension.
0: So an extension, is an extension all that bad of a thing?
1: Uh, usually the extensions are, are not that great because uh, it tends to disallow for a good debate. And then all of a sudden, somebody decides we're just passing something. So we end up without the enhancements that are necessary, uh, but a, a better extension than nothing. So uh, I,
0: I want you to explain with the expertise that you have why involving SNAP with the farm bill is so important.
1: Well, first of all, I've, I've had this question many times, but, you know, farmers really about feeding people. And, and having a, a, a consumption of food and to utilize up our products is really important. But the flip side of that is, is you got a lot of representatives and stuff in urban centers and uh, they have constituents that really do need the food assistance. And uh, when you tie the farm bill and that together, when I say the farm bill, when you tie the, the, the farmer part of the farm bill with that, it enables it to get passed through. And if you didn't, you'd never, ever get that passed. Uh, so it's essential we hold those two together and, and keep it as a, a food program for the nation.
0: See, and and the other part is, and I I spoke to uh, Colin Peterson about this once, and he said, Joel, it it just doesn't happen without it. it nope. And and he said, you know what, everybody thinks that it would wreck SNAP or food stamps. It's just the opposite. They have the votes on that. We're lucky to be partnered with them. I think was his point. Uh, what also he said something to me recently that. I didn't understand he said that federal crop insurance is not part of the farm bill anymore true or not
1: well it's 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 in the it's a commodity title it's within the farm bill and uh it but it's ran as uh what they consider to be actually sound, and the actuary sound part of it means it needs to balance at the year end so so there is subsidies and dollars available through the par gro- program that help crop insurance, but that's where it lies. In difference, it's not. It's run by uh, programs out there of uh, companies, uh, Rain and Hale, NAU, and so forth that run the program. Uh, but the farmer does get subsidies up to a certain level to help them afford that level of coverage they buy.
0: See, and I think his point was that farmers, because of the way it's drafted, don't have to panic about it going away, uh, that that it's going to be there, that that part of it, as you pointed out, is is solid.
1: Yeah, that part's solid. The challenge will be, of course, is uh, the subsidy levels because it's it gets very expensive uh, to ensure at higher levels which the farmer needs or they won't survive.
0: Now, renewables. Uh, when it comes to renewables right now, it seems as though people who fought so hard to make sure we have renewables out there and renewable standards out there uh, have kind of reached a generation where it's others are taking it for granted. You know, it's, it's like, well, you know, dad got this through or mom got this through and now we don't have to worry about it. There's still a threat when it comes to renewables.
1: Oh, definitely. And let's just look at a couple of them really quick. Uh, ethanol, for example. I, I heard somebody on your show say, well, that's just kind of crazy. Well, the fact of the matter is, is you don't take the food out of the corn when you take the ethanol. You still have the, the, the product that goes into mm-hmm. animal feed. So you don't really lose any food value. And then let's think about what the price of gas would be if you wouldn't it weren't adding 10% ethanol to that because you'd be short of gasoline. Uh, we wouldn't see these prices come down ever again if we didn't have the ethanol. Let's look at the, and that was the next first price run up in for a long time for grains where the government didn't have to lay out as much money and farmers are making money from the marketplace. Just what the taxpayer always wanted, let the farmers make it in the marketplace. So ethanol worked. Uh, now we're on the edge of renewable diesel fuel and sustainable aviation fuel. Uh, we're seeing uh, plants being built, three of them in the state of North Dakota potentially, and they're going to crush soybean oil and we're going to have renewable diesel. Again, it's going to supplement the crude oil industry. Nothing's going to go away. We're going to need all types of energy and this is going to keep those costs in check and it's going to rail the market for the soybean market.
0: So it's there. You have to support it. Got to support it. Well, that's the key. We we're talking about renewables with Mark Watney, president of the North Dakota Farmers Union before the break. Uh, Mark, do you think the general public understands it or just takes it for granted. Uh,
1: the renewables, I I think they take it for granted a little bit. Isn't that a sign of
0: success to some degree?
1: Oh, I would suggest. I mean, it's it's just uh, one of those things that you know you go to the gas station, you fill up, you don't really pay much attention, and and uh, you can see people being swayed by ads that aren't accurate. That means they're not really paying attention much because uh, you know there's a fear ethanol's bad for this or ethanol's good. That's really not true. Ethanol's a really good fuel. Uh, the renewable diesel, I mean, uh, we had some problems with the blending, but renewable diesel is actually going to be just identical, almost all chemically to diesel fuel. So it's going to perform r- the same.
0: Remind people what that is.
1: So uh, a biofuel is a blend. A renewable diesel is one that goes through a process of uh, fracturing, separating the carbon and the hydrogen, and putting it back together in the form of the diesel fuel. So it's it's a pure product. It's almost chemically identical. So you can use it any way you want. It flows. It doesn't have the, the problems of cold weather as much as uh, some of the blends would have. So uh, it's just a ton of new technologies that is, are being brought to us that are going to just be huge assets to providing energy for this country. And, and everybody kind of forgets that we, do, we need all types of energy. Nothing can just go away and nothing can just start up. We need everything and uh, now how can we make that the best for the atmosphere? How can we do all the best things we can to make it the the best fuel it can be?
0: See, in my day, you never saw as much corn going in the ground out there is what you do now. Then you look at the premium that comes along with being able to sell to those ethanol plants. Then you add in the fact that it's a renewable fuel and something you can use that benefits us up here in Ag. I don't know why anybody wouldn't burn ethanol. The the, the I don't want to say the lies, the mistruths, the the you know the whole gee this might happen or that might happen, that's gone. I mean, this whole ethanol is going to wreck your car, ethanol every small engine you got's going to go to he double hockey sticks. Every you know the, the the world has changed since then to the point where this is what they're using to race cars with.
1: Exactly, and and think about the the you know the refiners now that are uh, adopting. In changing some of their systems to do these blends. Think about the crude oil industry that's adjusting. Uh, this isn't necessarily an anti-crude. This is a, a system of providing additional energy into the future and then cleaning it up some. Yeah. And, and I, I think, you know, what there's hard to find a negative to that. I mean, it just seems to make sense because, I mean, we as consumers, we're watching inflation. Everybody just upset, upset over inflation. Well, the way you make inflation not happen is you provide yourself with more product to use and uh you know some of the stuff that happened in this world uh, was because just in time delivery or not enough supply so that's what we got to fix and we got to make sure we have the products available
0: see and i think the other thing that needs to be pointed out is that this whole it's going to wreck the oil industry hasn't been true no i mean it hasn't in fact i'm sitting here looking at a uh, an article right now that points that the united states is drowning opec and oil that we are producing more oil than ever before that uh, us uh, supply growth continues to defy expectations. Uh, you know, basically, we're controlling the market, and so this whole "boy, you're going to blow up the the oil market." It just isn't true.
1: No, it's just not. And 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 again, it's not that oil isn't finite because it is, uh, but we're not at a point where we're running out, and there's places to go and get some. The question of is, is how do you prepare for the future? And I'm a I'm a person that invests in the future. I think it's really odd when you don't think about the future in some of these products you're using. That's why you develop all these other energies when you can, and you start blending, you extend the life of crude oil, you extend the the life of all the things that are necessary for us to maintain uh, what people want to do, and that's enhance their life. So if we don't do that, we're missing an opportunity, and, and renewables is part of
0: that. How, how is the Farmers Union and, and other organizations, you know, you're head of the state's largest farm organization, and if you talk to farmers and you get alone with them, you know, and you say, okay, what's the biggest challenge you have? I mean, what is, you know, there are certain things they know they can't control. You know, some of their input costs, those type of things. But the one thing that frustrates it, it appears to me, many of the farmers out there now, they can't find labor. They just can't find workers. And uh, how do you, are you guys working on that at all? Or how do how do we get to a point where that isn't one of their top concerns?
1: Yeah. I think those probably labor and then, of course, access to land is uh, and purchasing and owning land is their big issues. Uh, but labor, uh, we are actually in the talks with uh, trying to duplicate some of the things that's been with bringing Ukrainians over into the oil industry. We've been talking with folks trying to figure out if we can duplicate that system uh, for agriculture. Uh, we spent a fair amount of time legislatively trying to figure out uh, some of the H-2A programs and some of the programs where uh, you bring the folks out from Central America um, then there's a fair amount coming in from Africa. Uh, we've never led it, but we're supportive of the process. And, uh, of course it's, it's, it's never perfect because you, you get a lot of inexperience and you get a lot of people that come here that may or may not want to truly work and aren't necessarily going back to mm-hmm. agriculture. So uh, their desires a little less. And and so it's a challenge, but hopefully we can figure something out with this Ukrainian thing and duplicate because the crude oil has been working on this, has been doing quite well with it.
0: So. You know, the last legislative session, I know that there was a lot of discussion with the Farmers Union on what policy you were going to utilize when it came to production agriculture, when it came to, in particular, dairy. You know, what was happening with dairy uh, North Dakota, there isn't much of a dairy footprint anymore. Agreed? Yep. Uh, you know, and now, uh, you know, word had gotten out that there, there is a big dairy coming into North Dakota. Uh, you think we're going to see more of that?
1: Uh, I think we'll see some of it. It really comes down to economics. you know, a lot of people want to make it sound like it's a business strategy or a business model. It really isn't. It's about economics and distance to marketplace. So, um, if a big dairy comes in here, it's going to be tied to some other industry where, not other industry, but some other place where it can uh, tap into some previous sales or something. Uh, our problem is processing. We, we aren't, we're not really good at end processing our products. We tend to just ship things out here in a commodity form. Um, if we'd add some uh, meat processing, which I know there's a good discussion happening over at NDSU, we're trying again. If we can add a, a back in to make some cheese factories and all that, uh, I think the dairy would come back. Uh, but if you're gonna ship that raw milk or ship it in some form uh, all the way out of here you're gonna have an economic logistics to disadvantage so it's gonna to be tough to build the system here
0: see and where you are hundred percent spot on is just that uh, because the the dairy that many people are talking about it, it has close proximity to where they're making cheese that's right and, and the cheese factory needs more milk yep and so the the two go together really well and and it is about geography it is about logistics uh, that, that type of thing you know when when you look at where i'm at down here where i live okay you take richland county there's there's Corn mill plant in wapton there's an ethanol plant in hankinson there isn't it isn't far to castleton where there's another ethanol plant uh you've got i think one or two places where you can load unit trains um so we're we're in pretty good shape, infrastructure-wise, for raising and selling corn, but that isn't the case everywhere. I, I know there was talk about this in, in North uh, Grand Forks with Fu Feng. I mean, where, where do we go to get everyone the same opportunity to market their product that I have in my little world down there?
1: Well, we need to really um, uh, invest back in ourselves. Uh, we have money at the state that could be put into- uh, really. 11 billion dollars now go ahead that was just me but if you were going to invest i mean you do the similar thing and 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 i'm not i've never been anti-investing in the crude oil industry or energy industry i I think uh, a lot of times we think agriculture is a federal program and it's all the feds that got to help we should be doing that by the state level we should be putting money into some of these uh, production centers and that uh, also think about all the you know the Uh, meal coming off of these soybean plants now and all the opportunities, but you got to build the processing. you got to get a place where you can add value because in the commodity market, we can't compete. Now we got the one side, we got the cheap feed, but we do not have a place to go. And our transportation systems, our logistics to that side of it are just so huge. And then of course we don't have population here to consume all this product. So we're very reliant on getting into a Chicago market or an East coast or a West coast market. And that's costly. So we got to be, uh, doing our best to get processing here.
0: A couple of text messages come in. One says, uh, are foreign interests involved in shutting down our ethanol industry? Question mark. Seems they wouldn't want us to produce energy. Your thoughts?
1: Uh, I don't know so much if it's uh, our foreign industries, but there's a, a much more demand for ethanol that's uh, more carbon neutral, and and that's you're seeing in Canada, in California, out on the coasts. Um, and some other countries that are performing it. So I would say some foreign influence, but the fact is they want us to clean that ethanol up more. And, uh, you know, that's what drives pipelines. That's what drives the decision of uh, sequestering it down in the ground, some of the CO2 coming off. Uh, But, uh, you know, you got to go what the market wants. You can't ignore the marketplace.
0: Uh, Text message comes in and says, Joel, we ran a lawn mowing business for a few years. I have a 16-horse Briggs & Stratton engine with... Uh, fifteen hundred plus hours with that ran on ten percent ethanol the whole time. Still working just fine. Never had to touch the carburetor once to fix
1: yeah, it. Yeah, I I run ten percent, even fifteen percent ethanol, and everything I got it. I I've never had a problem with that being the issue. Me for the too. Vision. I mean, yeah.
0: th- here's how even th-
1: my <laughs> boat motor. I <laughs> yeah. my boat motor. I got a Mercury too, so it's not right. like it's a.
0: But but here's the thing. Nobody talks about it anymore. No, I mean it, it's. That, I don't mean to mix you up in this, but it's a lot like whether or not women can have uh, children after they take the, the vaccine for COVID. Uh, Abby, we know now that some women can have children, right?
1: Yeah, I don't think it's been an issue at all.
0: Okay, just checking. Because but, yeah. you, you spread those rumors, and it's – uh, somebody said David from at The Atlantic says corn ethanol helps – Putin I think his point is that subsidizing renewable energy isn't sustainable in wartime I'm for ethanol because I'm anti-war yeah. There's a comment
1: certainly a comment and I, I mean I think uh, it, it it makes some good points uh um. Keep in mind, we we subsidize research and crude. Uh, the oil industry didn't get all their infrastructure built without some government help. Yeah. Uh, to think you're going to bring any energy into this marketplace without some government support and some government help is not true. It's you you just aren't. So you need that support. And we still we still supporting oil. We're putting coal. I mean, Where are just,
0: we at as a, as a nation with milk consumption?
1: Uh, it's declining. Continued decline in uh, significantly. Course, yeah. Isn't it? And, uh, I mean, you're looking at dairies. I mean, I've heard of 100,000 dairies potentially. And uh, when you start breaking down the numbers, it doesn't take a lot of dairies to meet the needs of our our markets. Yeah. Especially if you're not doing exports. So I
0: encourage anyone who wants to talk about ag production uh, to to check out dairies and how they operate uh, today. I think they might be surprised at everything that goes into it, the science that goes into it, you know, the the management that goes into it and the workers that go into it. So, Mark, always good to talk to you, man. Appreciate it. Thank
1: you. Anytime Appreciate
0: you want to talk more, you give me a holler, okay? Yeah.